0: and um, the the theme of the passage is kind of wrapping everything up and I I think as you initially read through Colossians chapter 4 verses 7 through 18 um, if you're like me your initial response is kind of like okay it's a lot of saying hello but what am I supposed to learn from this like I don't have that many opportunities to send greetings like this. Like, I see people in church and I say hello, but like, what, what, is, what is the point of all these greet so-and-so, greet so-and-so, and all this that comes into this passage? And I think what it is, is the culmination of all that Paul has been seeking to communicate and teach the Colossian church. And so as you look back at the beginning of Colossians and you kind of walk through slowly, see different things in the book that have pointed us to the theme that Paul is seeking to communicate and if you remember as we began Colossians I said one of the reasons that I want us to work through Colossians as we start small groups is because one of the primary things that Colossians is seeking to communicate to the Colossian church is this, hey guys you have to find time, you have to find ability and de- de- devote yourself to this ministry of the word to one another and so it's, it's not shocking that as Paul concludes, he's demonstrating how people are doing this in his relationships and how he's calling them, as he concludes, to also find ways to minister the word to one another. Find ways to comfort one another with the truth of God's word. Find ways to challenge and provoke one another on to love and good works. And so as you think back through Colossians and some of what we've gone over the last few months, uh, if you look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, he's just given thanks for them. He's prayed for them. And he says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. What is he praying for? He's praying that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And that's great, right? We want to be filled with an understanding of who God is. We want to know who God is. But we don't want to stop there, right? And that's what he's saying to the Colossians. He says that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Notice how the theological understanding in verse 9 then leads to actions that are being taken in the following steps. They're doing every good work, which includes this ministry of the word to one another. He goes on later on in chapter 1, and he tells them he wants them to learn to minister to one another, even as he has. And he, he talks about how he has learned to suffer for the sake of the advancement of the gospel. And he tells them that the Word of God is significant in imparting this to them. He tells them that it's not about philosophies of this world, but rather it's about knowing Christ and communicating... Christ, in all his fullness, that will change people's lives. It's not about philosophy that the world provides. It's about Jesus Christ, communicating Christ to one another. And then as he's just concluded chapter 3, if you remember, he very succinctly puts it in a very practical way in verse 15. He says, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Which you also, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, so that what happens, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord, whatever you do in a word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then he goes on and he says, this is the new life. And the new life is going to be something that becomes evidence. It's going to be evidence in your house. It's going to be evidence in how you live before outsiders. And now, as he concludes in chapter four, verses seven through eighteen, he once again comes back to this idea of live in community, find ways to encourage and provoke one another onto good works. If you would take your copy of God's Word and let's read together, Colossians chapter four, verses seven through verse eighteen. Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant of the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will make known to you all things which are happening here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instruction. If he comes to you, welcome him, and Jesus, who is called justice. These are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God, who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great, Zeal for you, and those who are in Laodicea, and those in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea, and Nymphus and the church that is in his house. Now when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. This salutation by my own hand, Paul. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. I believe the theme of the passage, the thing that Paul is seeking to communicate to the Colossian church, (laughs) and more importantly, what he's seeking to communicate to you and I, is this, the believers encourage one another toward faithfulness. Believers encourage one another towards faithfulness. And as he begins this whole idea, he begins... and. He really starts by just simply saying, what does this look like? If I want you to encourage one another towards faithfulness, it may be beneficial that you have somebody that you can look at and say, that is the model. Right there, that's what I'm seeking to look like in my efforts to encourage and motivate and challenge people to live faithful lives in this day and age. So Paul does that. He says, hey, look, encouragement is exemplified. And this whole idea that, you know, you need to allow the word of God to dwell in you richly so that you can find ways to effectively communicate the truth of God to the people of God so that the spirit of God can work in people's lives and transform them. This is exemplified in my own life, and it's exemplified in the people that I'm in relationship with. And so Paul himself puts himself forward as he begins. First of all, he says, I'm an example to you. You may say, well, he doesn't actually talk about himself right away. Pastor, in verse 7, the first person he mentions is Tychicus. But what's the reason behind mentioning Tychicus? Paul may not immediately appear to be example but indeed he is putting himself forward as an example of what he's been seeking to communicate and instill values of in this epistle the idea is I'm seeking to encourage you guys I'm seeking to find ways to comfort you guys we don't know all the situations that they're going on in the Colossian church but there are problems Paul himself has problems Remember, in earlier in chapter 4, he says what? He says, for which I also am in chains. Isn't it interesting? I mean, this is a man who is in chains for his ministry to the Lord. And yet his heart's passion is to do what? To comfort these people. And so he, he writes to them and he says, look. Here is Tychicus and here are Onesimus. They are coming back to you, probably the ones who are holding the letter as they come. This is the the, the, the faithful letter of Paul. that We are bringing to you to seek to encourage you and help you in your Christian walk. And Paul says about them, Tychicus is a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant of the Lord. What is he going to do? He's going to expound more about how Paul is doing. Paul really kind of just rushes over the fact, oh yeah, I'm kind of like in prison. And then he just kind of keeps going. It's like, I mean, if, if, if this was my spiritual father in the Lord, like, I'd be like, um, I kind of want to know a little bit more about how you're doing, Paul. Like, are you okay physically? Are, are you getting enough food while you're in the prison? Are you emotionally healthy? Are you spiritually staying on fire for the Lord? How are you doing? It's like these guys know me they are my co-workers they are faithful they are beloved people by me and by you they will communicate truthfully and honestly what's going on and so Paul's compassion is modeled in his purpose he wants to encourage the Colossians he wants to challenge them and push them Towards faithfulness, And so he tells them, hey, he's going to come, he's going to tell you what's going on with me. This is the purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. Paul is modeling what he's telling them to do. He's telling them, hey, you guys need to allow the word of God to dwell in you richly so that you can encourage each other towards faithfulness. But as you guys work towards that, hey, I'm sending people that I know, I trust, I believe will be able to communicate the truth of God and minister effectively and comfort your hearts in this time of sorrow to you so that you'll see this model. He moves on and he continues and he says, with Onesimus, he's also a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They will make known to you all things that are happening. here. seeking to care for them and remind them of what is going on. So Paul's care is then seen in, it's communicated through his co-workers that he sends to them. He himself is in jail and he's unable to come, but he sends some of the people who he trusts and believes will be able to minister to them. Paul is concerned for the spiritual health of the Colossians. Makes personal sacrifice to ensure their encouragement. Paul is in prison, and the, the way prison worked back in those days is significantly different than the way prison works today. You know, uh, recently, um, if you've been following even slightly the, um, the the murder that took place in Georgia, uh, the three men were convicted. And so they're supposed to spend time in federal prison and they were trying to work out a plea deal of some sort with the federal government it would put them in prison in the federal government for at least a good portion of that time why do they want to be in the federal prison instead of the state prison the idea is that the federal prison is a little better than the state prison why because America's prison system I mean it's, it's not ideal to be in prison at all but they Provide you food, they provide you opportunities to exercise, you can do some work. And this is not how prison was in Paul's day. You needed people who were close by who would constantly, constantly find ways to minister to all of your needs. Because the prison system did not provide that. And here is Paul taking two of his faithful, loved co-workers and saying, hey, I care so much about the Colossian church and I want them to be comforted in the word of God and the truth, that I'm willing to entrust you with this letter, take it to them, and ensure that they are comforted. You see how Paul is modeling what he's calling upon them to do? He's not simply telling them, hey, you guys need to find a way to minister to yourselves. it's important that you do this so that you grow spiritually. He's like, this is so important that we find time and ways to minister the word of God effectively to one another. I'm going to take my own sacrifice. I'm going to sacrifice these faithful people who are with me so that they can come and minister to you, so that they can come and comfort your So Paul says, hey guys, this isn't something that I'm simply saying is for you. This is something that I myself have bought into wholeheartedly. I'm willing to make personal sacrifice so that people are presented with the Word of God and that the Word of God is used in their lives to encourage and challenge them to grow. But he doesn't stop there. He he goes on and he says, not only that, but my coworkers themselves are examples. And as he begins this section in verse 10 all the way through verse 14, notice just how many of his co-workers are sending greetings. Why are they sending greetings? I think that the idea is the fact that they're all sending their love, their care, what is that going to do? You know, I like getting a birthday card with money. right? I do. You know, a birthday card with money is... Is super nice. But no birthday card versus a birthday card without money. I take the birthday card without money, right? And, and so it's, it's just this demonstration of their love and their care and the fact that they have a desire to minister to them. And so he moves on and he says the coworkers themselves are examples. And it's, it's greater than the fact that they're just simply sending their greetings. As you read the text, you see that some of these individuals are purposefully, intentionally finding ways to constantly be ministering to the Colossian church, even though some of what they're doing is completely unseen by the Colossian church. Had Paul not told us of how they're seeking to minister to them and care for them spiritually and find ways to comfort them in the Word, the Colossian church may have never known of these Quiet little ways that people are seeking to minister to them. And so he begins and he tells us: not only is Paul personally concerned for the Colossians, but his co-workers are as well. Many of them then are independently sending their greetings, their commendations to them. Aristarchus is specifically mentioned at the beginning. He's also called a fellow prisoner, and he greets. Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, it's possible that he's going to be arriving at a, in a short time to the Colossian church. And he tells them, hey, if he comes, be sure to welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. Notice he's not saying these are my only co-workers out of everybody that's out there. He's saying these are my only Jewish co-workers. Okay? So there's that distinction. What are they seeking to do? They have proved to be comforts to me. How have they been a comfort to him? No doubt by demonstrating small acts of love, by sending greetings. That's one way. But also just by being there and being a comfort to him, by sharing the word of God. That is how you and I primarily seek to comfort one another. It's great to come alongside each other and provide physical means of care we we've recently done this in a couple of different ways. We've helped somebody move in recent days. And further back, you know, we've helped people at different times with removing snow, we've helped people by making meals, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We do all these things. But those are all things that anybody and everybody can do. The one thing that you and I can do to comfort each other that unbelievers cannot do share the word of God. He says, these are people who are comforting in me. He moves on and he says, these men have value in his own life. They've been a source of comfort to him. Then he says, he Epaphras greets them and is constantly in prayer for their spiritual health. Look at verse 12 and following who is one of you, probably a demonstration or a statement that says, hey, this is a guy who actually is from your home church. He's a Colossian. You guys know this guy. He's sending you greetings. He's a bondservant of Christ. He's always laboring fervently for you in prayers. It's very similar to the, the care and the love that Paul begins chapter, the whole book with, where he says, hey, I I love you guys, I'm thankful for you guys, and I am praying that what? That you will grow in your knowledge of Christ so that you can live faithfully before him. And so he says, he's laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and Paul is acknowledging his passionate care for them and for the believers of that region, and he values and he encourages him to persevere in prayer. And he tells them, hey, this is a way that people are seeking to encourage you, to comfort you, even though you are not able to see it. And then finally, Paul acknowledges the spiritual care of Luke and Demas. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas, greet you. Once again, just a small demonstration of their love, of their care. And so through these few verses, from verse 7 all the way through verse 14, Paul mentions eight of his co-workers who have a spiritual desire for the Colossian church to prosper, to grow in Christ, to become more like him love him better and to be filled with the word of God so that they too can go and effectively minister to people. I think that the whole idea is you're not in this alone. This is not something that you are doing by yourself in your own effort. You're not Lone Rangers, guys. There are other people that you don't even see who care about your spiritual health and who are praying for you to grow and become and Paul is seeking to use these messages to encourage them to grow. These men are, to some degree, following the pattern of Paul. Paul is willing to sacrificially send some of these men to the Colossian church so that they can minister to them, so that they can comfort them. And these men, no doubt, are giving up something as well. The text doesn't highlight that, but it demonstrates something to us. As you and I seek to comfort one another, as we seek to come alongside each other and encourage each other, as we seek to come alongside each other and challenge each other with the Word of God, there will be cost involved. Believers, then, minister the Word of God to one another. Why do we do that, though? Why do we minister to one another? I think one of the reasons that we seek to minister the Word of God to one another is because we've learned to love each other. But that's not the only reason. That's not even the primary reason why we minister the Word of God to one another. Because it's not our natural bent as people who are naturally sinners to love everybody here So it's not enough that we just say we love each other because some of us are going to be less loved. Some of us will not love as we should. And so we've learned of the importance of this. We have a desire to serve our Master who has given His all to us. Much like we looked at a couple of weeks ago when we looked at Mark where it talks about the model for service is servant's leadership. It's not pursuing greatness, it's pursuing service. And so we've this great desire now because Christ has served us so greatly that we would also serve others, but also I believe one of the reasons why we desire to minister this way is because we see it modeled. And so Paul is challenging the believers at Colossae and he's telling them, hey it is your responsibility to come alongside each other and minister the word of God to one another. and so as you think through all this let me ask you a couple of questions first of all who is modeling faithfulness for you who do you look up to in your family in your church in your circle of friends that are maybe not in this church that you look at and you say this person or this group of people model faithfulness. These people when I'm around them, when I hear them talk, when they open the word of God they encourage me, they drive me to more faithfully come alongside other believers and open the word of God and faithfully entrust what I've learned to them so that their lives are transformed through the power of God's spirit. That's the first question. And if you say, you know I'm not sure who I look up to, who I'm seeking to follow the example of let me encourage you to find somebody that you're seeking to learn from that you're seeking to follow their example there's value in looking at the life of you know, Tychicus but when you open up the rest of the Bible you'll find very little about Tychicus to follow his example Onesimus has a whole book but it's only like 20 some verses so there's that it's not actually called Onesimus, it's called Philemon okay Um, there's there's, a limited amount of information that you can get about following examples. So it's beneficial, it's going to be helpful for you to find somebody who you say, you know, not that they're perfect in every area, but they have a pretty good handle on this or that aspect of the Christian life, and I'm going to attach myself to them, and I'm going to ask them to help me learn from them. I'm going to follow their example. You know, it's not enough for you just to simply say, I'm going to find somebody to follow their example. Part of discipleship is that you are a disciple and you're making a disciple. And so how well are you serving as a ministry model for others who are behind you? Is your life able to be described by any of these words that have been used to describe these ministry models? Are you a loved brother? Are you a faithful minister? Are you a fellow servant? Are you one who comes alongside people and encourages them and provides them with comfort as has been described in the passage? Are you someone who is like Epaphras who labors behind the scenes, sometimes unknowingly devoting yourself to prayer so that the rest of the body would be perfect and complete in all the will of God. See, our, our responsibility is not simply to look and find a model whom we follow after, but our responsibility is secondarily to be the type of model that the next generation, that could be the next generation literally, or more metaphorically, just they're the next people who are saved after you, that they can look up to you and say, that is what I want to be like someday. That is how I want to serve And Paul says, these are people who surround me, who encourage me, who challenge me to constantly take the word of God and impart it in other people's lives because the word of God, this truth, is what will comfort people." It's what's comforted me. It is what will comfort you. And so Paul says, we have examples. Encouragement is exemplified. It's exemplified in Paul's life. It's exemplified in his fellow co-workers' lives. And the question is, where do you see it exemplified in your life? And how are you being an example to the next generation? But it doesn't stop there. He moves on and he says, encouragement is embraced. It's not enough for us to simply find examples. This is really picking up on that second question. How well are you serving as a ministry model? And what does Paul tell the Colossians they need to start doing to follow the model that they've been given? What are the principles from verse 15 through verse 18 that you and I can look at and say, These are the things that I need to embrace. These are the things that I need to adopt in my own life so that I can effectively minister the word of God to the people that God puts in my life. So that I can be a comfort as Tychicus will be to the Colossians. As Aristarchus, Mark, Justice, have been to the life of Paul. And as he he goes on, Paul is assuming that after he's developed this whole argument, not just chapter 4, verses 7 through 18, but the whole book of Colossians, he's assuming that when these people hear this message, that his message will not fall on deaf ears. He does not think that this is going to stop here. He's assuming that they're now going to take these instructions and they're going to say there is a responsibility that we now bear as having received much that we would also do what? They would give much. He says, fellowship is central to the Christian life. Now, if you read through verses 15 through 16, you will not see the word fellowship. You won't. Let me read them to you. You'll see. You won't see those those words. But I believe that the concept of fellowship is ingrained within the words that he uses. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Memphis and the church that is in its house. Now, when this epistle is read among you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. Notice what he's doing. He's telling them fellowship is central to the Christian life. He's assuming that they're going to have a relationship with neighboring Christians. And he says, hey, guys, don't live it by yourself. Even though you have your little local church in Colossae, Be willing to embrace relationships with others. So he tells them, hey, greet the brethren who are in Laodicea. This is a neighboring church. He says, hey, say hi to them. Demonstrate the love of Christ to them as well. Just as my coworkers have demonstrated the love of Christ to you, you go and do likewise. Partner with them. Fellowship with them. Enjoy their presence. Challenge each other to grow in Christlikeness. Why do I say that that's what they're supposed to do with their greetings? Because he tells them, after you're done reading this book, what are you supposed to do? Take this book and go and make sure that the church at Laodicea reads this book. Right? And then what are they supposed to do? Make sure that you take the book that Laodicea has and you read their book. What is that? It's not just a fellowship you know, meal where they get together and they simply eat. They're getting together for the purpose of what? Gathering so that they know who God is and how they're supposed to effectively serve Him within their individual communities. He's telling them, hey guys, fellowship is central to the Christian life. You do this by developing relationships and you do this by sharing the Word of God with one another. And so Paul is assuming, hey, one of the things that you have to do As faithful believers is You have to fellowship You fellowship around the word of God He moves on He doesn't simply say that He goes on and he says There is another thing that you need to do And he tells them to encourage their pastor Now, once again You will not find the word pastor in here But somehow Archippus is somebody who has been given some sort of special ministry within the Colossian group, and he tells them to do what? And he says, "And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it." He he tells the church itself to go to their pastor and to remind their pastor to do what? To be faithful to the ministry that he's been given. almost taboo sometimes in our our way of thinking about things, right? We kind of think sometimes as the pastor being on this pedestal that's up there and the pastor is the one that's responsible for reminding and telling us what to do and never does the communication go this way. Okay, We may not say it, but that's kind of how we function sometimes. But what is Paul telling the Colossian church? He's saying, No, you need to to encourage, you need to challenge, you need to stir your pastor on towards faithfulness. He tells them, remind him who has given him the ministry. Remind him that he's been called to faithfulness and he must accomplish it. How do you do that? You do that with the word of God. The pastor... Should be reminded of what his responsibilities are in a loving way, unless there's a need to do it, you know. Uh, well, not without love, but in a more, you know, like confrontational way. Okay, he's not. He's not necessarily thinking he's a rebuking archivist. He's just saying, "Hey, remind him that this is a serious job." That you could read into that that there's a problem, but you don't necessarily have to. It could just be a simply, "Hey." You have a serious job. Take it seriously. And so it, he encourages them to do that. I think one of the ways that you effectively do that is by you know reminding people these are the responsibilities the pastor has. And you look to the Word of God. So they would have to use the Word of God to come and tell the pastor, hey, this is your ministry. Be faithful in fulfilling it and accomplishing it. And then finally he tells them, to share in each other's burdens. This is salutation by my own hand, Paul. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. It's interesting as, as Paul is, you know, concluding and he's getting ready to tell them, Hey, uh, share in each other's burdens. Care about what's burdening each other's lives. You may hear what's burdening somebody else's life, and you're like. is nothing compared to what Joe over there has. But if that is what Sue is going through and that's what's burdening Sue's life, then you need to come alongside Sue and Joe and care for both of them. Find ways to minister to them both. And I think a big part of this, at least in, in Paul's context, is how do they remember his chains And they are, you know, a couple hundred miles at least away from him. The only thing you can assume is he's saying, hey, please pray for me. And one of the primary ways that he's told them to pray for him is, pray that I will remember and maintain my focus. I'm called to evangelize the world. I'm called to take the gospel where the Gentiles have not yet heard it. Pray that I'll have open doors and that I'll have boldness to speak the message when I get there. But you and I are responsible for caring for the burdens and the sorrows of each other. But as he's doing this, notice he's once again kind of just taking a little aside to be like, hey guys, I love you, I care for you. You People hypothesize about why Paul so often at the end of his letter, he He stops and he's like, hey, I'm I'm using my own hand to write this greeting. It seems that it's common enough that there must have been some sort of difficulty in Paul writing. Maybe his eyesight, maybe something else. The text doesn't really tell us. But in some small way, as he's calling upon them to share in his burdens, he's reminding them of his care, of his love, and his desire to comfort. If If all of a sudden, you know the script goes from you know this beautiful writing by you know somebody who's got beautiful handwriting, and all of a sudden, let's say he did have some sort of physical impalement that changed the handwriting drastically. All of a sudden you see something that looks like it was written by like a four year old instead. and it looks like it was painstakingly done. Wouldn't that be encouraging to you as you stand there with like the actual original in the Church of Colossae, and you're like reading this, and you can like visually see like that took effort, but he's seeking to encourage them and to challenge them as he goes along. As he concludes, though, he tells them all this, all that he's encouraging them to do: to fellowship, to encourage their pastors to share in each other's burdens. Using the Word of God. I think all those things must be done with the Word of God. I think that's why he tells us in verse 15, uh, or I think verse 16, to be filled with the Word of God. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. He says all of this, all this is embraced as a way of life, life because God's grace is available and working in the believer. Grace. How do you and I effectively go about implementing any of these instructions in our lives? In our own strength and our own ability, we would not accomplish it. How do we accomplish it? It goes back to something he's already said. In Colossians chapter 3 he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing How do you and I grow as people who fellowship around the Word, who encourage our pastors and other spiritual leaders, who share in each other's burdens? It's by the grace of God. And how do we see the grace of God most clearly? By allowing God's Word to dwell in us richly so that when things come up, what comes That we are exposed to. And so he calls upon us to not only see the examples who model encouragements, but to also embrace encouragements ourselves. And so as we think about application, what does this passage mean for your life? What does it mean for my life? How am I supposed to live in light of these truths? I think, first of all, you and I need to find and develop relationships that encourage you to minister. Christian life is not supposed to be something that you do on your own. The Christian life is meant to be lived in community. It was interesting at the conference that we were at, um, one of my professors was one of the speakers, and I think he, he counted out how many different coworkers Paul had, and he said at least there were 83 different co-workers that Paul mentions in Scripture. That is crazy. I don't think I'd very quickly write down 83 names that I would be like, these are my coworkers. But it demonstrates what? It demonstrates that Paul highly valued working with other people and finding people who he could be a model to and who were a model for him of what the Christian might look like. If you and I are going to grow as we should it is going to require that we spend time finding and developing relationships that will encourage us to minister. And and as we do that, the next step really is that you and I would develop skills to make you a model of encouragement. It's not simply so that you can gain all this experience and knowledge and just be a, a towering cathedral of wisdom and ability to minister. No, the purpose is so that somebody else can come alongside you. Work underneath you, and that they can learn from you. That you can be a model to the next generation. This is what the Christian life looks like within community. This is how we serve one another and encourage and challenge each other, rebuke one another at times. Let me encourage you to start somewhere. Maybe you say, yeah, I can't do all these things this week. And probably that's accurate, right? Because we are busy probably way too busy. Sometimes we make ourselves busy because of things that we devote ourselves to that we should not devote ourselves to. But start somewhere. Start small if you must. Encourage someone this week. Spend a little extra time this morning engaging in conversation, and demonstrating your heart of love to somebody. Notice how many times he says greet this passage like relationships were a big deal how do you build relationships you build relationships by engaging with each other start somewhere start by saying hello allowing the conversation to progress naturally share the word of God with one another this is seen very clearly in Paul's instruction in verse 16 When you read this, don't keep it to yourselves. What are they supposed to do? Share it. Tell the next church down the road, hey, this is the message we have from Paul. This is how Paul says we're supposed to live. I hear you guys have a message too. What did Paul tell you guys about how we're supposed to live as Christians? We're supposed to share the word of God with one another. We encourage faithfulness even among our leaders and we share in one another's burdens. Perhaps by physically demonstrating some sort of care, perhaps it's just like Epaphras does, where you know the person maybe doesn't even know, but I would encourage you to contact them, okay? If you're praying for somebody that's going through a hard time, let them know you're praying for them. But maybe you can't do something physical for somebody who's going through trial. Maybe there's nothing you can physically do. But just coming alongside them and saying, I am praying that this trial will be a source of spiritual growth in your life and that God will comfort you through this trial. God is a God who comforts. And then progress and tell them about a time where God is comforting you through a trial. And that you know God is a God who comforts and they'll comfort them through this trial as well. you got to start somewhere. Paul expects you and I to minister the word of God to one another. And then finally, you and I must find our strength in all this in the grace of God. You and I will not minister as we should because you or I become a towering cathedral of wisdom. That's not going to happen. You and I minister to one another. We see one another grow in grace because of the grace of that God that's within us. And so whether you're finding and developing relationships, whether you seek to develop skills that will make you a model of encouragement, or whether you choose to start in some other step this week, let me encourage you to pursue comforting one another. Pursue encouraging one another. And do so this week through the grace of God. Father, we do thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for the book of Colossians and how Paul uses it to comfort, to teach, to instruct the Colossian Church and how we too can learn from it and grow in our knowledge of you and how you desire for us to live in relationship to you. We pray that as we meditate upon your word, that you would use it to transform our lives and that we as a result would be able to go to effectively and faithfully proclaim your word to others as well.